Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back for the final time in 2020. Simon Head and Shamat Sandu. I'm here in Rochester, England. Mr. Sandu is over there in Toronto, Canada. First off, Sandu, how was Christmas, my buddy? It was great, mate. I'm still recovering as we're a few days removed now, but woke up with uh, a nice white Christmas. It decided to snow pretty heavily on Christmas Eve, so that was um, picturesque, as they say. Um, but had to get up nice and early on Christmas Day, shovel the driveway, do all that kind of stuff. But then after that, it was just the couch, food, booze, family, movies, and in general, good times. How about you? Awesome. We didn't get a white Christmas. We had a wet Christmas, which is what we normally get. It was kind of drizzly and miserable, but that's that's typical typical English Christmas day. Standard. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it was all right. Obviously, because of the lockdown and everything, for those... For those listening who are in the UK, you'll be well aware of uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the issues that we've had to cope with over Christmas. We had plans; we were going to go see family. It was all going to be great, and then like three, four days before Christmas, that all got completely, completely uh, flattened uh, by uh, Boris Johnson's increased uh, restrictions. So uh, we ended up just the four of us: me, the wife, two kids, trying to stay sane, trying to keep everybody alive. Uh, tearing open presents but not tearing each other apart which was kind of the aim of the day everyone survived everyone survived no one got hurt it's a happy day <laughs> it was good and I, I cooked my first ever Christmas dinner normally my mum does it it's my first do you know this is my first ever Christmas without my mum uh, because we normally go and stay with my parents but they were isolated off they, we couldn't see them and she always does Christmas dinner this time I had to do it no cases of food poisoning in the head household so all is well Glad to hear it. No, honestly, it's like kind of weird, isn't it? Everyone likes to kind of have friends and family over or you typically go somewhere where someone's hosting and it's just a bizarre year ending with a bizarre Christmas for everyone. But hopefully everyone made the most of it given the circumstances. And I get, I bet we all can't wait for, for 2021 to roll around as soon as possible. Yeah, I was talking to uh, a colleague of mine, Matt Erickson at MMA Junkie, and I was I said to him, my my hopes for 2021 are pretty modest. It's just be be a little bit less shit than 2020. If it can be just a little bit less shit than 2020, then I'll be a happy man. I, I'm grand plans obviously are great to have, and I'll, I'll try and put I'll try and make a few. But I think just be less crap than 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 this year. I think. Uh, but despite the fact that the wider world has been fighting the, the COVID 19 pandemic and you know, a lot of us, you know, for a lot of the time have been kind of shut away from things a little bit. Thankfully, the sport of MMA has kept on rolling. They had a little bit of a spell during the middle, uh, during during the late spring, early summer, where, you know, we had a bit of a wobble when the pandemic really hit. But since then, it's, it's, uh, it's been great. And we've had a, a full year of fights. It's been great. And what we're going to do on this week's show is try and try and wrap it all up for you in... Uh, in one hopefully easy to listen to podcast. We're going to run through the entire MMA year, 2020, month to month. Then we'll uh, we'll update you with a bit of breaking news before heading on and giving you our end of year awards. Yeah, I know everyone else does it. So if it's good enough for them, it's good good enough for us, right? So uh, These are the prestigious, the Britpack <laughs> MMA end of year awards, you know? That's it. I mean, you know, you could call them like, something flash like the brits but i think that's already been taken so we can't do that so I think, um i think that's copyrighted already yeah 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 i don't know i don't know what we'll have to do um we'll call in the brit pack awards and keep it safe 
But let's kick things off, Sandu, with our 2020 review. And let's kick it off with January. And it was a big one, right? Conor McGregor showcasing his shoulder strikes at UFC 246, demolishing Cowboy Cerrone to kick off what was going to be his 2020 season. Uh, Little did we know, and I was at this event, that his season was going to end right there and then. And uh, from a personal point of view, my season was going to end there and then. That was the last event that I was at. The first big UFC show of the year. Boom. Finished. Uh, it was that kind of year, right? And in January, Chris Cyborg made history at Bellator 238. She defeated Julia Budd to become the women's featherweight champion. And in the process, become the first fighter, male or female, to win titles in four major global organizations. Strikeforce, Invicta, UFC, and then Bellator. It's not a bad way to kick off the year, Sandu. What happened in February? So in February, Simon, John Jones defeated Dominic Reyes via unanimous decision, which actually most people, including myself, scored for Reyes. And on the same card, we had Jan Blachowicz. Actually, not on the same card, on the, in the same month, Jan Blachowicz defeated Corey Anderson via first-round knockout. This is significant because Jan would go on to fight for the title, as we know, later in the year, and Corey would go on to sign for Bellator. So this would mark his final fight on the UFC banner. Um, elsewhere in the month, we had Valentina Shevchenko uh, defend her flyweight title against Caitlin Chukagian via third-round TKO. Uh, Dan Hooker defeated Paul Felder in a main event in Auckland. And Bellator held their final event before the pandemic shutdown with an event in Dublin. And the reason I wanted to note this down was that event had an attendance of over 11,000. Can you just think about that for a second? We've seen all these events for the bulk of the year with little or no fans or people in attendance. And right before the pandemic hit, Bellator had a packed house in Dublin, just showcasing how strong that UK and Ireland market is for Bellator. And when the UFC aren't in town, they've come, they've swooped in, they've kind of made that their kind of home away from home, and they were shifting tickets and doing pretty well in that market. So I thought that was a, a significant thing to note by the end of February. Yeah, and in March, of course, the world just turned upside down, didn't it? It started out, huge title fight at UFC 248, Israel Adesanya versus Yoel Romero. Didn't really catch fire, though, did it? It was a bit of a disappointing bout in the end. But that event, which was at the T-Mobile in Vegas, turned out to be the last big arena show with a crowd of 2020 for the sport of mixed martial arts. COVID-19 struck. Everybody was affected by this, including the sporting world. The UFC did squeeze in another event. They held a behind-closed-doors event in Brasilia. But once the government restrictions kicked in and coronavirus protocols kicked in, it meant that no fewer than five UFC events were scrapped through March and uh, and April as the sport went into a temporary shutdown. But, Sandu, the UFC had big plans to bounce back in May. They certainly did. So the UFC returned after a lengthy layoff with their very first pandemic-era event with UFC 249. So this is the first event that had the proper protocols in place and COVID-19 testing and obviously no fans in attendance. But by this point, and this is obviously held in, in Jacksonville, Florida, they'd started to kind of put their game plan and strategy in place. So this is an important and significant card. Justin Gaethje uh, defeated Tony Ferguson 
via fifth round TKO to become the interim lightweight champion. Obviously, Tony Ferguson hadn't lost in so long. And what an incredible performance by Gaethje there. Co-main event, Henry Cejudo defeats Dominic Cruz via second round TKO, defending the Bantamweight Championship, and then decides to retire in the cage. Incredible. Triple C bows out of the UFC and MMA, and we haven't seen him compete or fight since then, although he's been very vocal on social media in terms of trying to get a comeback or a, a return from retirement fight on the books. Other notable results on that particular card, Simon, Francis Ngannou defeated Rosenstruck via 22nd KO. We haven't seen Francis Ngannou compete since then. He obviously should be, uh, and we think will be in line to fight for the heavyweight title next, but I mean... 20 seconds of competition and he's just been chilling, working out and working on his social media for the rest of the year. Um, and another notable result, uh, Calvin Cater defeated Jeremy Stevens via second round TKO. Obviously, we know what a great year Calvin Cater's had. Elsewhere in the month, Simon, Glover Teixeira defeated Anthony Smith. Alistair Overeem uh, defeated Walt Harris. And those events marked the end of three events in Jacksonville, Florida, before the UFC shifted things to the apex. So this is what they were working on in the background while they were holding these events in Jacksonville, Florida. Obviously, we know what the apex events look like, sound like, feel like now. We've, we've been so exposed to them throughout the year. But the end of May saw their very first event in the apex, again, with the, the new COVID protocols. Again, very significant because they were shifting operations back to Las Vegas. And it was a, a significant a card with a, a significant result, Gilbert Burns defeats Tyron Woodley, solidifying himself as the number one contender for the welterweight championship. And uh, the other thing to note, I think, from May Simon is it was the UFC the only show in town, especially when it comes to combat sports, because pretty much no other organization held any other events that month. There were no Bellator events. In fact, there were barely any events from any other sports in general. Um, nothing that springs to mind right away. I think the sports world was still trying to figure things out in terms of how they were going to be able to hold events safely and things of that nature. And I think um, the UFC, you know, for, for good, bad or indifferent or worse, they really did lead the way with regards to trying their very best to put the, to put the right foot forward and, and get things done in the safest manner possible. Absolutely. And with the UFC then cleared to have these UFC Apex shows, all bets were off, right? It meant that they'd done the uh, they'd done the Fight Island thing, but then we had the UFC Apex, and that was their home base, and that's where they really could just start reeling off these shows one after the other in quick succession, full on schedule. UFC 250 saw Amanda Nunes continue her reign of dominance at 145 pounds, while in the while the following week uh, we had Jessica Iron Cynthia Calvillo. And Calvillo picking up a win in a very first UFC main event. Curtis Blades picked up a big win in a main event that month. And, of course, June saw one of the best fights of the year. Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker serving up an absolute cracker with Poirier getting the win to bounce back from that loss to Khabib Nurmagomedov last year. So it was a, it was a real comeback month for the UFC because they'd managed to go overseas uh, and they had that, that bubble environment in Abu Dhabi and everything there was nicely set. But before then, they had loads of trouble getting themselves regulated, getting themselves safely set up in the States. June 
was a marquee month because they established themselves. We can do this and we can do it in our own building and we can do it safely and successfully. It was a big, big month for the UFC. But things got even bigger in July, Sandu. They certainly did, Simon, because Fight Island was real. There was so much speculation with regards to where Fight Island was going to be. I think some people thought it might be a Caribbean island or the UFC were going to buy an island and convert it. It ends up being our old home away from home. You know, I haven't personally been there, but the UFC have been to Abu Dhabi plenty of times. And so Fight Island was confirmed to take place at the Flash Forum on Yaz Island in Abu Dhabi. And it kicked off with UFC 251, which was originally supposed to be headlined by Kamara Usman versus Gilbert Burns for the Welterweight Championship. Burns then gets COVID and, and Mazadal, Jorge Mazadal steps in on little over a week's notice. Usman defeats Mazadal via unanimous decision to retain the welterweight strap. In a co-main event, Volkanovski defeats Max Holloway via split decision, which was quite controversial, as a lot of people perhaps in my book and uh, in my opinion, I had it scored for Max Holloway as well. Uh, but, you know, in the official books, Volkanovski defended his featherweight championship, and so he got back-to-back -back wins over Max Holloway. And the third title fight on the card saw Peter Yan uh, defeat Jose Aldo to become the brand new champion at 135 pounds. And this was definitely one of the, the the bigger events of the year in terms of you know getting the eyeballs on it. Obviously, you know when we when we, when you get a last minute replacement like a Masvidal stepping in on what just a week's notice or something like that, it just generates so much buzz and traffic. So there were a lot of eyeballs, and especially this kicking off the UFC's run in Abu Dhabi. I think a lot of people were curious to see what Fight Island would actually look like. Later on in the month though, uh, Calvin Cater defeats Dan Ige and on the undercard we saw the debut of one Hamza Shemaev. He made his UFC debut and defeated John Phillips via second round submission. Uh, Figueredo uh, made weight this time around and defeated Joe Benavidez to become the UFC flightweight champion and the month ended with Robert Whittaker defeating Darren Till via unanimous decision. And Hamza Shemaev returned after only making his debut a few weeks prior, this time to defeat Reese McKee at welterweight. And the other notable result from that particular card at the end of their first stint on Fight Island, I thought, was Alexander Gustafsson, who made his UFC heavyweight debut, but lost to Fabrizio Vadum via first round armbar. And want to give a shout out because this month also saw the return of Bellator. They got things underway with their first pandemic era event at the Mohegan Sun. Yeah, it was uh, those summer months were absolutely, absolutely uh, packed with news, breaking news and breaking information. The Fight Island thing had been bubbling away all year. Finally, we found out where it was. And uh, some of those UFC behind the scenes videos that actually show you the lengths uh, to which they've gone to make this thing safe with the, the help of the Abu Dhabi government and tourist board over there. Incredible stuff. Even now, looking back at it, it still looks uh, like a remarkable operation. And they were there for the whole month. After that month, they ended up back at home in Sin City. UFC Apex hosting five straight shows in the month of August. Um, in the first one, we saw Derek Brunson Pull off a bit of a shock and introduce Edmund Shabazian to the uh, to the loss column for the first time uh, at middleweight. The Black Beast picked up 
yet another knockout win to add to his ever-growing record of finishes. And then we had UFC 252, Sandu Stipe Miocic, Daniel Cormier for all the marbles at heavyweight. The trilogy fight finally happened. The only downside, it happened in front of no fans. But it was a great fight. Stipe Miocic getting the job done and uh, earning the uh, the bragging rights and keeping hold of that uh, undisputed title or getting his heart, getting his hands back on the undisputed title uh, to move on as the baddest man on the planet. Frankie Edgar showed that he still got it. Picked up a pretty controversial split decision win over Pedro Munoz, but showed that he's still very much a factor in that UFC 135-pound division. And it was a big win too for Alexander Rakic, who has been quietly and slowly moving his way up the light heavyweight rankings. He beat Anthony Smith in his first UFC main event to move one step closer to a title shot in what has become one of the most crowded divisions in the UFC, that 205-pound light heavyweight division. But it wasn't all about UFC uh, in uh, in August. In Bellator, Michael Chandler knocked out Benson Henderson before jumping ship and joining the UFC, while Vadim Nemkov avenged his mentor, Fedor Emelianenko, by finishing Ryan Bader to capture the Bellator light heavyweight title. But there were even more big fights to come in September, Sandu. Yeah, it kicked off with uh, Alistair Overeem defeating Augusto Sakai, which was great because it gave Overeem back-to-back wins in 2020. And he certainly needed it. He's back on track, you know, and he's going to put out on social media that this is his final run. He's trying to put together a string of wins now that will lead him to fighting for that UFC heavyweight championship, which is pretty much the only title that's evaded him in his professional career. And it's a title he wants so desperately. The other thing of note for this particular card was it only had seven fights. And this was kind of, I guess, our first exposure to the difference between events on Fight Island and fights at the Apex. It definitely felt like on Fight Island that the regime was so good and the, the the strategy in place and the protocols in place was so good that we weren't really getting positive results week of day of weigh-ins any of that kind of stuff and it wasn't really having too much of an effect on the fight cards themselves but at the apex it was a completely different story and it's been with us pretty much throughout the entire year where we're waking up sometimes the day of of the fight and the day of the event, and we're seeing bouts being cancelled due to COVID-19 positive results, whether it be a cornerman, a coach, a fighter, asymptomatic symptoms, you know, negative, positive, positive, negatives, and all the rest of it. It's been crazy. But that particular card only had seven fights, and I can't remember the last time I tuned into a UFC show and it only have seven fights on the card. So that was something that was worth noting. As the month rolled on, though, some notable results. Michelle Watson defeated Angela Hill. Uh, pretty cool to see both of those ladies headline a UFC Fight Night card. Colby Covington defeated Tyron Woodley. Uh, this was one of those fights we wish had taken place maybe a couple of years prior. But, you know, better late than never. have to say, though, that was Woodley's third loss in a row. Uh, we're still not sure what the future is for Tyron Woodley. We know that the UFC are making a lot of cuts is Woodley going to be in the chopping block? Will he get to fight for the UFC one more time down the road? Who knows? But on the undercard of that event, we saw Hamzat Shemaev knock out Gerald Mirsha in only 17 seconds, taking his undefeated record to 9-0, 
three of those wins coming in the UFC and pretty much solidified himself as one of, if not the breakthrough star of 2020. And the other contender for perhaps not only breakthrough star of the year, but perhaps fighter of the year, Kevin Holland on the same card defeated Darren Stewart, fellow Brit. Uh, and that gave him his third win of the year as well. And then the month ended with the big one, Simon. Israel Adesanya defeated Paolo Costa via second round TKO, uh, defending his middleweight championship. That was um, a very well-promoted event and fight, in my opinion. And Adesanya proved that he could fight someone in their prime, you know, undefeated and taking the school. It was such a masterclass performance by Adesanya. And in the co-main event, we saw Jan Blahovic defeat Dominic Reyes to become the brand new UFC light heavyweight champion, joining Joanna Jacek as the only other Polish fighter to become a champion in the UFC. So legendary Polish power making a statement in the month of September. And with, a, with regards to Bellator, they continued to hold events at the Mohegan Sun. But at the end of the month, they shifted operation and shifted things to Milan, Italy. Uh, they've been holding events in Italy for a while now. Uh, they seem to have a pretty good relationship with the with the, the local crew on the ground. They've got a pretty solidified, solid European team to help them roll out events. So it's good to see them, you know, move away from you know their their home base at the Mohegan Sun and 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 put on some events in Europe as well. Absolutely, and uh, rolling straight into October. October was a big month. October was a big month. There was so much going on. The UFC held a trio of fight night shows during that month that eventually led in to a huge pay-per-view event at the end of the month. On October the 10th, we had a crazy night uh, with big wins for Brits, Tom Breeze and uh, Tom Aspinall. And uh, we had a huge win for former KFC, KFC, EFC and KSW champion, Drikus Duplessis. He might like his chicken. Um, he arrived in the UFC with a bang, with a big knockout victory as well. Corey Sanhagen picked up a spectacular win in the main event that night. He finished Marlon Marais in stunning fashion. But none of that was the headline that day because it was all overshadowed by a spinning back kick KO by a certain Joachim Buckley who finished Impa Kasanganai with some sort of video game knockout that I'm sure we will talk about a little bit later on in the show. The following week, Brian Ortega pieced up the Korean zombie. Then all eyes turned to UFC 254, where Khabib Magomedov finished Justin Gaethje to unify the lightweight belt, go 29-0, and then he stunned the world by retiring from the sport of mixed martial arts. Now, earlier uh, in the year, he'd lost his father, Abdul Manap, due to uh, complications arising from COVID-19. And uh, we weren't sure quite how things were going to go. And uh, it turned out that he was going to go for just one more fight. And the reason why he decided to call time on his career, he'd promised his mum. He promised his mum that he would uh, he'd get this fight out of the way and then it would be all over. However, despite saying that he's done, Dana White reckons he can persuade him to come back. He seems pretty confident. So will we see Khabib back in the octagon in 2021? Watch this space and we may have some uh, additional news on that um, a little bit later on in the show. But to end the month of October, we saw another Octagon great wave goodbye. Anderson Silva calling time on his UFC career, and I say UFC career, not MMA career, after his TKO loss 
to Uriah Hall. I'm sure we're going to see the spider somewhere, whether it be Rising, One Championship, maybe even Bellator at some point in the future. Speaking of Bellator, they had a big month. Sandu, you mentioned that they've been holding shows at the Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut, and that's been their, their home base, the fight sphere. But they came over to Europe. They hold, held shows, uh, two shows in Milan, Italy in October, and a historic first event in Paris, France. The sport finally getting legalised in France. That's a battle that has been ongoing for a long, long time. I know in the States, it was all about New York uh, legalising the sport. And that was the one that everyone was chasing. For us in Europe, it was all about France and uh, and getting it done and having a big event in Paris. Bellator were the first to put boots on the ground in France and uh, got that first show in the bank. Uh, and uh, the man who scored the last finish on the card was a Brit. Saul Rogers in the co-main event getting himself an impressive submission to uh, to just write a little bit of history on that first first card in France. Um, we also saw a legend retain his title inside the Bellator cage back in the States. Gay Garbin Masasi defeated Douglas Lima, uh, who obviously is the welterweight champion right now, but he moved up to challenge for the vacant middleweight belt that Musasi once held himself. And it was Musasi who got the win to reunite himself with that middleweight belt at Bellator 250. So a lot going on in the month of October. A big emotional month. Retirements, championship changes, people being reunited with the belts. It was a biggie. But we weren't finished yet. Tell us about November, Sandu. Absolutely. So the month started with Glover Teixeira defeating Thiago Santos. And that win really solidified Teixeira's position as someone who should be fighting for the title next. That was his fifth win in a row. Will he be fighting for the title next, though? We're not sure. A lot of rumours, nothing officially confirmed by the UFC, seem to indicate that Israel Adesanya is going to be moving up to fight Jan Blahovic at some point early in 2021, which would absolutely suck if you're Glover Teixeira, given his age and the string of wins he's been able to put together. But that was a big one because, you know, Thiago Santos has been looking really good at light heavyweight and, um, you know, Teixeira really put it on, on him in that particular performance. Um, later on in the month, we saw Rafael dos Anjos defeat Paul Felder via unanimous decision. Although, have to be said, this was Felder stepping up on short notice to save this main event. The co-main event, though, we saw Chaos Williams deliver one of the knockouts of the year with a one-punch KO of Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. That was a, an incredible knockout. One of the, I mean, it, had it not been for Yakim Buckley, that, we might be talking about that one as potentially the knockout of the year. Davison Figueredo defeated Alex Perez via first-round submission, and Valentina Shevchenko defeated Jennifer Meyer via unanimous decision um, in what was essentially a showcase of flyweight title defences. And on that particular card, Brandon Moreno defeated Brandon Royval on the undercard, which essentially helped set up his fight with Figueredo a mere few weeks later. The month ends, though, with Anthony Smith getting back in the win column with a first-round submission over Devin Clark. And I actually thought, for Bellator, this was their best month of the year, period. Check out some of these fights and performances. They, they start the month with Corey Anderson making his Bellator debut. He defeats Melvin Manhof. Patricio Pitbull defends his lightweight title against Pedro Carvalho. And I think that was the card that also saw an incredible knockout by Aaron Pico. 
And then in the same month, we saw AJ McKee deliver one of the greatest submissions ever with what was essentially a modified neck crank that he then essentially named the McKeo team on Darian Caldwell. So what we saw here was a showcase of, of young talent, of, of fighters in their prime and champions, as well as guys that they've been able to lure away from the UFC. So I thought November was a very important month and almost kind of planting the seeds and just a, a look into the future of what Bellator is aiming to become at some point down the road. So I thought big, big month for Bellator in November, Simon. Absolutely. And uh, December really was a bit of a quiet month by comparison with everything that had, that had come before it. We had uh, only three UFC events in uh, in December 2020, but there's still plenty plenty to unpick. Marvin Vittori certainly took full advantage of his opportunity, stepping in on short notice and beating Jack Hermanson uh, in a main event of UFC Fight Night to catapult himself towards title contention at middleweight and a rematch potentially with Israel Adesanya. This is a guy who he actually won on the scorecards in the eyes of one of the judges when he last fought uh, the last style bender. Uh, arguably pushed him harder than anybody else. Will he one day get that second shot? He's got a little bit more work to do before he gets there. But that win in uh, early in December certainly put him on the right track. Someone else who uh, looked to round out a big year was Davison Figueredo. He took on Brandon Moreno, as Sandy just said, in uh, a fight of the year contender. It was it was absolutely brilliant matchup at UFC 256. But when all was said and done. They couldn't come up with a winner. It was a majority draw, which meant that Figueredo retained his title uh, and Moreno showed that he is undoubtedly deserving of a rematch. And I'm sure we will see those two back in the cage early in 2021. Wasn't such a happy event for Tony Ferguson, however. Lost out to Charles Oliveira to fall to -to back-to-back losses in the UFC. But it was a huge night for Kevin Holland, who knocked out Jacare Souza from his back to score his fifth win of 2020 and uh, move himself up that middleweight ladder. The UFC rounded out the year with a win for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who outclassed Jeff Neal, while Jose Aldo picked up his first win as a UFC bantamweight thanks to his win over Marlon Chito Vera. December also saw a former champion wave goodbye to the, to, uh, to the octagon. Former UFC lightweight king Anthony Showtime Pettis announcing his departure from the UFC after fighting out his contract. And the speculation over where he was going to go next didn't last that long because it took just a few days before he announced that he would be joining the PFL for their 2021 lightweight season. And we've got just one more event to come in 2020. Rising 26 will take place on New Year's Eve in Saitama. A huge card, 16 fights headlined by a huge rematch for the rising bantamweight title. Kyoji Horiguchi, who uh, had to uh, relinquish his belts due to injury, is going to take on the man who holds the belt right now, Kai Asakura, who is also the man who stunned Horiguchi in a non-title fight earlier this year. That is a dynamite fight on a huge event to round out what has been a remarkable roller coaster of a year in 2020 so even though the coronavirus uh completely turned the world upside down mma proved that it was able to improvise adapt and keep the show rolling and uh, they delivered a hell of a year sandu a hell of a year 
Yeah, it was a hell of a year. You know, we were kind of twiddling our thumbs for a minute there, Simon, when the pandemic hit and the UFC shut down, wondering what we were going to do. This is how we make our living. We work in this business. We work in the industry. The fight game has a massive impact on our personal lives. And you got to just say it like it, you know, like it is, man. The UFC led the way. They got things back on track. For the most part, I think you can always nitpick. I think everyone can always nitpick, but what are you going to compare it to? It's the first time we're living through a global pandemic of this nature, and we're working in a sport that involves so many international fighters and international events and all the rest of it. You just have to applaud Dana White and the UFC for what they did, um, not just for, obviously, for themselves, but for the fighters, their staff, for their broadcast partners, and just for everyone that works in the business. Because had it not been for them, who knows, maybe we'd been out of a job. It could. It was pretty much, you know, that's how serious this thing um, w- w- was in terms of impacting our lives. This is how we pay the bills. Uh, and like I said, you can nitpick all day long. And we've, I think, shared and been honest with our opinions uh, throughout the year on, on previous podcasts with how the UFC were handling the various situations. But for the most part, you just have to give them a pat on the back and say they did a good job. And, and you know, considering everything that they were up against, it was a hell of a monumental challenge to try and pull off what they did. And um, God bless them. They did it. The, the fighters got to fight. Not everyone, you know. It, it wasn't hunky-dory for the entire roster. Some got to fight five times, six times this year. Some didn't get to fight at all. Um, but given the circumstances, I think uh, they, they made, the UFC and Dana White made the best of a really, really bad situation. And like I said before, really led the way in sports. And uh, for us, it was great because we had a sport to cover and talk about every week. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you look back at 2020 and how the different sports have actually approached this. Give me another sport that's done a better job. I don't think there is one. I honestly don't think there is one. And um, I know uh, even recently the UFC put out a video um, looking back at their success at actually holding events during the pandemic and taking some pretty direct pot shots at some members of the media for uh, some of the things that they'd said very early on in the process. But I think... On balance, I think it's fair. It's fair to say that when all of this started, and there was a that, that failed attempt to host shows at the Tachi Palace, um, and there were big worries and big concerns over protocols and all the rest of it, and questions were being asked like, "How are you going to do this? How is this going to work?" and all the rest of it. And I think questions needed to be asked, and in the end, it was ESPN that um, basically got the UFC to pull the plug on those shows. Looking back, best thing that could have happened. Best thing that could have happened because what it did, it made the UFC take a step back. They went all in on Fight Island, and thanks to the input and the finances and the manpower of uh, the Abu Dhabi Tourist Board over there and the Abu Dhabi government, they were able to set what I think is probably the gold standard in safely hosting events, sporting events during a pandemic. And then the UFC were able to take the best of that. And through their own hard-working team, which is which is a, a, a remarkable a remarkable set of people, we see them on the ground at events all the time. They do an incredible job um, to be able to then port a lot of that knowledge back home to Vegas and hold stuff at the UFC Apex. And yeah, it hasn't been quite as good as the Fight Island stuff, but it's still been excellent in terms of how they've got it done, and and uh, they've done a great job. Bellator as well, you know, they took time, they looked at it, they probably looked very closely at what the UFC were doing, but they bided their time 
And since they've come back, they've not really had much of a misstep at all. It's been great. Um, one championship, they waited and waited and they came back and they're holding reduced cards. Actually, what they were doing, they were holding large cards of events, large amounts of fights on one day. But what they were doing, they'd put one portion of the card out live and then record the other portions of the cards and drip feed those out in subsequent weeks. So they had programming and um, keep keep the results under wraps and they successfully did that and that worked for them. Um, the one promotion that really struggled, I guess, was the PFL. Uh, the PFL, because of the nature of the way that their, you know, their, their, their product works, it's a season-based product, you can't start a season if you can't finish it. And, uh, you know, when, when it was due to start, that was at the height of the uncertainty. Um, but I think they've taken the year out and have learned a lot about what they need to do to make sure that they can hold an entire season in 2021 pandemic or no pandemic so looking forward to getting those guys back in the mix and uh final final word from a promotional standpoint cage warriors cage warriors did a great job as well um they uh i remember they they moved the show it was the same weekend where the ufc was supposed to be in london in march for tyron woodley versus leon edwards they were supposed to hold a show on the friday the day before that got scrapped because the uh, the arena wouldn't host it, the Indigo. So what did they do? They went up to Manchester. They held a show in Manchester. Then the lockdown happened. What did you do then? They then stayed with Manchester and did three nights behind closed doors, closed bubble. It worked a treat. They then came down to London, held another trilogy series in London to round out the year. They're going to do another one in London in March next year. And that looks like a formula that's going to work for them moving forward as well so it's all about people who can actually take a look at the problem adapt work out how it can be done and just going for it and uh the sport of mma has been outstanding in 2020 sandu um one thing before we move on to the awards we had a bit of breaking news earlier today um regarding khabib namagamedov sandu yeah and this one came a little bit by surprise if I'm being honest I wasn't sure how to really digest it because Khabib has essentially held a press conference earlier on today and we know that he was essentially going to be speaking to Dana White at some point but he's essentially said that his belt the UFC lightweight championship will be taken by the winner of Dustin and Connor now again this is this is something that's been translated and you know i think you have to take these things with a pinch of salt just for the time being because who knows if that meeting with dana white's happened yet or not dana white can be a very convincing person the ufc have not officially come out and said anything with regards to any extra stakes being laid on to the the winner of the dustin poirier conor mcgregor two fight in a couple of weeks and this may just be wishful thinking on khabib's part to kind of make sure that he's, you know, if he is not going to fight again and he's leaving the UFC and that lightweight championship, that he's kind of giving his blessing for the winner of that particular fight to be fighting for the title next. But if that's the case, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? If Khabib's not going to come back and he feels as though the winner of Conor and Dustin should, you know, win the title next, I'm in agreement. Why not? Why waste any more time if Khabib's made his mind up and he's not going to fight again, the next big marquee fight in that division, headlining a pay-per-view with the biggest star in the sport, who also happens to be a former champion in the weight class, 
and is one of the top contenders in the weight class, taking on a fellow top contender in Dustin Poirier, makes all the sense in the world to me, Simon. Yeah, it really does. It really does. I, I do. I do find it interesting. I mean, that that's that sort of news is not news that the UFC likes to get out before they announce it. You know what I mean? It's the sort of thing. Dana White goes on ESPN or he, he does an interview with somebody and he drops that information, you know, because that is a major change to the main event um, to, to, to kick off the year. All of a sudden, it's not just a big fight. It's a title fight for a vacant belt. So, um, But what it also does is it closes the door on Khabib coming back for another title defence. doesn't close the door on him coming back, but it closes the door on him coming back and basically continuing with uh, the same the same path. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how quite how all this how all this shakes out because the UFC hasn't confirmed it yet. I don't believe uh, at least not not since before we hit record. So, um, if they subsequently go on and, and confirm this, then that's obviously great. Conor McGregor is going to be lapping it up. He, he'll he'll see that and go, this is awesome. Um, and uh, Dustin Poirier won't be too disappointed either. I shouldn't imagine. So, yeah, it'd be interesting because this is effectively, I think. I think this is Khabib drawing a line under his under his his uh, MMA career because why would you you know you've had the belt for all this time why would you why would you if you're going to come back not come back with your belt it doesn't make any sense so uh, but he is a pretty honourable man is Khabib and I think this is his way of saying I don't want to mess anybody around I don't want to hang on to this thing because I know I'm not fighting again and uh, now it's basically down to uh, to Dana to pull out the biggest of big guns to try and get him get him to change his mind because he's got less than a month before Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor set foot in the UFC octagon so but uh, yeah making that fight title fight makes complete sense um and uh, what a way to kick off the UFC's 2021 schedule huge title fight Conor back in the mix um maybe we'll have you know maybe we'll get a 2021 season out of Conor McGregor and if he wins the belt, then blimey, what a way to start the year. What a way to start the year. Um, it should be pretty special. But before we move on and start talking about 2021, which we will do in our next show, we'll do some uh, some way too early predictions uh, and madcap crackpot theories and everything ahead of uh, the 2021 uh, year in MMA. Let's look back at 2020 and dish out a few very unofficial, but obviously hugely prestigious awards. The Brit Pack End of Year MMA Awards for 2020. Well, I think we've got 10 categories here. Um, and uh, we'll alternate our way through them and uh, dish out dish out some honours, Sandu. Just lead off, my man, with the Fight of the Year. Yeah, and I think for Fight of the Year, Simon, there's only two contenders here. You've got Young Bailey versus Joanna Janjacek at UFC 248. And the one that's probably more fresher in everyone's minds, Davison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno at UFC 256. And I have to say, Simon, I'm going to give this a one to Young Bailey versus Joanna Janjacek, only because they went the full pelt for 25 minutes. There was literally, they did not at one point did they put their foot off the gas pedal. And I think with regards to Figueredo versus Moreno, I think in that fifth round, 
by the fifth round, they had kind of given all they had, and there wasn't really much more left to give. Had they continued the pace that they were going on, especially that fourth round into that fifth, then I think we could really be, it would be a coin flip. Um, but listen, not taking anything away from Figueredo versus Moreno, what a, an incredible fight. Arguably the greatest uh, fight in male flyweight title fight history. Uh, but for me, Simon, Young Bailey versus Joanna Jacek wasn't just the greatest female fight of all time. It's one of the greatest fights of all time, period. What, what say you? We were spoiled this year. You think of everything and all the challenges and all the rest of it. The fighters really stepped up in 2020. They really did. We saw some great stuff. And most of it happened with no fans. You know, you think the fans draw the best performances out of people. But you look at a lot of the fights that happened. Obviously, early in the year we had fans, but for a lot of these, a lot of these fights towards the end of the year, seeing something like Figueredo and Marino with no fans in the building was madness. You know, um, I said that I thought Figueredo versus Marino was was uh, my fight of the year, and I think when I registered my vote for uh, MMA Junkie, I think I, I named that. Um, I think, however. I've been back and since watched Whaley versus uh, Joanna, and I tend to agree with you. The speed of that fight is insane. That that that's the thing. Given that we've seen Figueredo and Moreno, who are a couple of flyweights, uh, and you know they're not slow, but and they were tagging each other. But I think from a technical perspective, I mean, you know, there's different ways you can grade it. Action wise, you know, they were both incredible. I think from a technical standpoint, I think Zhang versus uh, Yuan was a better fight. Speed-wise, I think Zhang versus Yuan was a better fight. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to have to lean to that. It was It's kind of 1A, 1B for me. A couple of honourable mentions. Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker served up an absolute belter at uh, UFC on ESPN Plus 26. And the Michelle Waterson-Angela Hill fight was a lot of fun as well. Uh, I, I just wanted to throw that in the mix. But those two fights at the top of the list, Zhang Weili versus Yuan and Jacek, Davison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno, um, they were the two, the two clear top contenders. Zhang Weili versus Joanna for me, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's good to have the honourable mentions, but and I'm sure this is going to be a running theme um, throughout our awards. When, there, when there's a UFC championship involved, when there's a champion involved, the stakes are just a little bit higher you know, uh, it means more. There's more pressure. And so the result, the performance means that much more when the gold is on the line. So I agree with you there. Yeah, so there we go. The uh, the Brit Pack fight of the year. Zhang Weili versus Yuanian Jacek at UFC 248, which seems like forever ago. Absolutely ages ago. Let's look at knockout of the year, Sandu. Knockout of the year. Now, there are plenty of contenders here. I've kind of narrowed it down a little bit, but I mean... What stood out to you? There's an obvious pick, but I mean, give us give us your list. Who 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 gets uh, who gets a mention for knockout of the year? I think you got obviously got to start with what I think is going to win this category, and that is Yakim Buckley, his spinning heel kick knockout of Imper Kasanganai. I mean, I was on shift. I remember this going down for BT Sport. I clipped it. I posted it most retweeted, most shared, most engaged with post of the year by a country mile. And then just seeing how viral it went outside of our MMA community, our MMA bubble, when, when you got Kanye West posting that finish on and it's on loop. 
so that he can promote a new song on his social media that tells you everything to know about that particular moment because you know Kanye West isn't posting you know UFC finishes on a regular basis so big shout out I have to talk about the one we just saw not too long ago just a couple of weeks back Kevin Holland knocking out Jacare Souza off his back for God's sakes that was insane and of course then we got Cody Garbrandt you know his almost like nonchalant knockout of Rafael Unsunsao just the way he kind of generates power without much movement and it was just pure technique and the way he's able to pivot his waist to generate that speed and man what, a, what an incredible knockout but those are the ones that come to mind right off the bat Simon yeah they're my three they're my three Cody Garbrandt that buzzer beater KO I think it was like the last second of the round or something insane like that and uh Sun Tzu was sort of putting it on him a little bit he was sort of pushing the pace had him up against the cage letting fly with shots and then Garbrandt just absolute fastball right hand bang game over brilliant brilliant knockout if you found just clean one punch KOs that's probably your winner but Kevin Holland versus Jacare Souza was just that's got to be in there because it was just mad it was just you don't see that happen. You don't. I mean, and this is Jacare Souza. You know, Jacare Souza doesn't get knocked out like that, and he doesn't get knocked out like that from a guy who's basically in sitting position or lying down on his back. Um, absolute madness from Kevin Holland, but it's got to be, isn't it? It's got to be New Mansa, Joachim Buckley against Impa Kasanganai. Video game stuff, real life. What did, what did John Gooden say? Real life ninja stuff. I think the commentary was. Uh, from from uh, from a man John Gooden, and uh, I think the UFC put out a video um, last week of like the best uh, common commentator cam moments because they have a little camera on the commentary team, and uh, the reaction of the commentators when uh, when Buckley did that was uh, was was amazing. Watching Paul Felder just walking around sort of with his gob wide open, like I can't believe what I've just seen. Um, and uh, Dan Hardy going absolutely mental. So it was it was great. Joachim Buckley, if anybody beats that, then there's something wrong with the award, I think. Knockout of the year, Joachim Buckley. The big thing now is, can you top it in 2021? Uh, that's going to take some doing. But uh, there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one way to win a fight, Sandu. You can win it by KO, but you can win it by sub. Um, and uh, there's been there's been some pretty creative submissions over the course of the year, but um, let me know. Well, I think this is an easy one, Simon. Um, we talked about it earlier on when we were doing the recap of 2020, but AJ McKee submitting Darian Caldwell in his own version of a modified neck crank, which he then labelled the McKee, the Makio team. That is the one for me. It was incredible seeing it play out in you know live on the broadcast. I've seen it a bunch of times since. It's hard in this day and age when you're what approaching almost 30 years of the sport to produce a brand new submission that we haven't seen before at the professional level. It's one thing you know doing it in practice and and, and all the rest of it, but doing it when it means something is one thing on the broadcast. And, it, and we don't have a name for it, and you got to you got to figure out a name for it. That tells you everything you need to know about this particular performance. And uh, I mean, I'll give some honourable mentions: Jack Hermanson's submission over Kelvin Gastelum, Mackenzie Dern's submission over Hannah Cyphers, Aljamain's 
Uh, Sterling's submission over Corey Sandhagen. Again, very UFC heavy, but if I'm going to give an award out for the best submission of the year, it has to go to Bellator's AJ McKee, who is honestly one of the most exciting fighters Bellator has. He's young, he's undefeated, he's got everything, he ticks every box with regards to what you want as a homegrown talent. Um, and so for me, he gets submission of the year, Simon. Yeah, I don't think there's any argument, is there? I mean, there have been some good ones. I mean, it's been a good year for unusual submissions. I, I was watching CFFC the other week. Someone won with a banana split. Jose Perez winning with a banana split submission. You don't see them too often. Um, Ariane Lipsky scored a brilliant finish with a knee bar against Luana Carolina. That was a good one. I remember that one. Uh, we've had some, we've had, you know, we've had the traditional ones. You know, Al, Aljamain Sterling finishing Corey Sanhagen quick. With a with a rear naked choke, uh, obviously AJ McKee with his with his McKeatine, Khabib finishing Gaethje, and uh, one that literally sprung to mind as you were talking was uh, from the little known Monica Chochlikova who opened Bellator 247 in Milan, Italy. She won with a submission which is known as a Scorpion Crunch. It was basically just crushing someone with her thighs. It's the sort of thing that James Bond. Uh, like a baddie Bond girl would do, um, but uh, yeah, Scorpion Crunch submission. So we've had some, we've had some unusual stuff, but yeah, AJ McKee, and of course that that win, Sandu, put him in the final of the featherweight Grand Prix tournament, where he's likely to face per, uh, Patricio Pitbull, um, who's got one more fight before he gets to the before he gets to the final. But if that all works out. That's going to be a huge, it's going to be a big, big fight for Bellator. And if AJ McKee wins that belt, they have got themselves an absolute superstar holding the gold. So uh, looking forward to seeing how all that pans out in 2021. Um, he might be a nominee for Male Fighter of the Year next year. But Male Fighter of the Year this year, Sandu, who's on your short list? So this is where you've got Male Fighter of the Year and then we're going to talk about Breakthrough Fighter of the Year. And for me, I'm not going to consider, and this may be a little bit controversial, I'm not going to consider Kevin Holland for fighter of the year in this category. I've shifted him over into my nominate, nominees for breakthrough fighter of the year. And in terms of nominees for fighter of the year, I've got two in mind. Davison Figueredo and Jan Blahovic. It kind of goes back to what we just talked about earlier on in the show. For me personally, five round main events headlining pay-per-views, fighting for a UFC championship, defending a UFC championship, all those things mean a lot more and hold and carry more weight with me personally when it comes to categorizing who the who was the best fighter of the year. Now, what Kevin Holland has to his name this year is an incredible run of wins, five wins in as many months pretty much, which is insane, right? But the level of competition up until Jacare Souza, and of course, no disrespect to anybody else on his list, including fellow Brit Darren Stewart. We're talking the creme de la creme when it comes to fighting for a UFC championship. And again, for me personally, that holds more weight. So for me, Simon, if you're going to choose between Davison Figueredo and Jan Blahovic, obviously Jan Blahovic, incredible year, right? Defeats Corey Anderson. Corey Anderson departs for Bellator and then defeats Dominic Reyes, who we all thought was going to win this fight fairly easily, given his performance against John Jones. But legendary Polish power does the business 
only becomes the second Polish fighter to become a champion in the UFC. That being said, Davidson Figueredo for me, Simon, gets a nod. Look at his year. Four fights, three wins, one draw. Yes, one of the fights he didn't make weight for, but they were all five-round fights. They were all for a UFC flyweight champion or defending his UFC flyweight championship eventually. And he comes through 2020 with a contender for fight of the year. He's the UFC flyweight champion. He put on a better performance almost as the year went along until the fight against Moreno. I mean, the fight against Benavidez the first time around, he won the fight, but he missed weight. The second time around, he does an even better job against Benavidez. And I think when you talk to think about what he means to the promotion, he's Brazilian, his look, the silk shirts, the god of war, the, the, the red streak across his blonde hair and all the rest of it. For me, Davis Figueredo is the, the 2020 fighter of the year, the male fighter of the year. I think there's an argument to be had here. I, I, I really so. do. I, and I, and, and I, I'm, well, I'm, I'm well up for it. I think I think everything you said about Davison Figueredo is is indisputable. He's had an incredible year, but there are two big asterisks against his year. He he failed to make weight for his first fight of the year, and then he didn't win the last one. So, um, and you know, and he he didn't win it because he he, he you know he he committed a pretty egregious foul. So, you know, so he's got he's got two what you would call clean victories out of four. So he's fifty percent if you want to look at it that. I'm being really picky here, right? But you know, he's operating at the highest level. Yeah, he's looked fantastic. Yes, but he missed weight for his first title fight. So if Joe if if Joe Benavidez had turned around on on the Friday and said I'm not taking this fight, that fight doesn't happen, right? And he was well within his rights to do so. The comeback fight, uh, the rematch, no dispute in that. Amazing performance, got the job done, even better second time round. And I, I I hear what you say about level of opposition. Uh, if you're comparing Figueroa versus versus Kevin Holland, yes, I'll give you that as well. Kevin Holland took most of these fights on short notice, right? He took most of these fights on short notice. He's won three performance of the night bonuses. He's tied the record for the most wins in a calendar year. Um, and he's finished four of his five fights. He made weight every single time. He's got three first round finishes there. Four finishes overall. Um, one, He had a knockout of the year contender in his last fight. Um I think I think he's I think he deserves fighter of the year recognition. I really do. I think I think it is it's it's a one A one B thing again. I think I think it really depends on your criteria. If your criteria is if you're competing at a high level that gives you the nod, then I think you could probably sway Figueredo's way. But if you're just looking at performances in a vacuum uh, in that in that calendar year, who did better? I would say Kevin Holland did better, um, but I, th- I think I think it's arguable. I think it's arguable, and I think I think, uh, and I wouldn't even say Kevin Holland was a breakout fighter in 2020 personally, but we'll talk about it later because I think he's been around. He's been around long enough um, that he has. Well, I suppose he's broken out because he's had so many fights. But um, he finished the year. He's a middleweight contender right now. You know, he he's he's right up there. He's beaten a legend. If I'm if I'm really pushed, I would go Kevin Holland. And you would go Davis and Figueredo. So we've got a split vote. But um, 
I don't I don't think there's a wrong answer, but that's just if you look at what was on Kevin Holland's plate at the start of the year and what's on his plate at the end of the year, I think the progression for Kevin Holland is bigger than the progression for Davison Figueroa, who who was right there as a championship contender at the start of the year, messed up his first opportunity, won sec- won it second time round, defended the belt, and then uh came very close to losing uh in his last fight and didn't do enough to get a win. So it's very close. You can argue it either way. The reason why I put Kevin Holland in the bracket of breakthrough fighter of the year is I feel like a year ago, no, no one really knew who Kevin Holland was. And I feel like at the end of 2020, everybody knows who Kevin Holland is. And everyone is recognizing him as someone that is in the top of that middleweight division. He's going to have a big year next year. I feel like when you look at performances and wins and results and the number of fights, all that kind of stuff, what did it mean? Figueredo fought for a UFC flyweight championship twice eventually makes weight the second time around and wins the belt that is the top of the mountain in this business that is the top of the mountain in this sport and in this industry everyone is fighting to become ufc champion if you're in the ufc of course right because that means you're on pay-per-view points it leads to more lucrative opportunities down the road and yeah i mean i guess for, for me it's a pretty straightforward answer because kevin holland doesn't even qualify for fighter of the year in my bracket i feel like what he's done his performances mean he's a, he's in that category for breakthrough fighter of the year so i can't even give it to kevin holland because he's not even in that bracket it's, it's a reason why i put jan blahovic in that category because by your definition, if you take the first fight out away from Figueredo and the last fight, he's got two clean results there. So has Jan Blahovic. And that's the reason I put him in there. He's got two wins. One was one that really made a statement by knocking out Corey Anderson, right? And that solidified his position to get a chance to fight for the light heavyweight championship. And then he goes on and does it, you know? And here's, and going back to your thing about being breakthrough fighter of the year, I remember... Uh, what, a year ago? I think I gave Jorge Mazadal both in the unofficial Sandu MMA year-end awards, of course. I gave Jorge Mazadal both Fighter of the Year and Breakthrough Fighter of the Year because I feel like age doesn't factor in to when you break through in this sport. You can do it at any time. It's about results, but it's also about what the results mean. And if you look at Mazadal a year ago, he got these incredible results, the knockout, fastest knockout in UFC history over an undefeated Ben Askren. He goes on to headline in Madison Square Garden against Nate Diaz. Now, he didn't go on to win any official UFC championship belt. It was a BMF title, but it was a breakthrough year. He's a he's a pay-per-view draw. He's a pay-per-view star, right? So for me, if Kevin Holland had either fought for a title, had he headlined a fight night card, had he done any of those little things, right? Yes, he stepped up on short notice. Give credit where credit is due. Like two weeks, one week, three weeks, Kevin Holland is your man to call. He's there, no problem at all. But let's forget about pay-per-views and fighting for titles. Even just preparing for a five-round fight night headliner. That means something, right? And so Kevin Holland, again, I hate to be picky and I hope no one takes any of my words out of context here because I think Kevin Holland has had an incredible year, an absolutely incredible year. But for me, like I said before, I think he had a breakthrough year. But for me, there were other fighters that did more and had more meaningful fights and results that put them ahead of him for male fighter of the year. See what this does, this, this highlights that we hadn't uh, prior to the show nailed down our criteria. 
right? And what that does, it means that we we sometimes have these different results, which is which is good because we could just both rock up with the same answers for all of these, and it'd be like, well, why not just have one person doing the show? What's the point of that? So, the fact that we've come at this from slightly different angles, I think, is good. I'll do you a deal, right? If Kevin Holland, if Kevin Holland is in the mix for breakout fighter. Breakthrough fighter, because there is another obvious name in there as well, who we will talk about. But I think if you're stacking up Kevin Holland's resume against this other contender, I think Kevin Holland wins. So if we're gonna if we're gonna make if we're gonna make Kevin Holland our breakout fight of the year, then I'm prepared to concede Davison Figueredo the throne of fighter of the year because I I think I think both men are worthy of that, um, and I think Holland absolutely deserves uh, an accolade of 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 that sort of standing, the Brit Pack MMA Awards for crying out loud, to uh, to sort of you know give him give him due due credit for the year that he's had. So let's do that. Let's do that. Um, we'll, we'll we'll talk about breakout fight of the year in a bit, um, but we will we will rever- we'll revert to uh, Mr. Holland a little bit later in the show. Female fighter of the year, Sandu, I think is a lot more straightforward. I think because I only think there's a probably two at most three names in the mix for this um but who who are you leaning towards here there's only two in my opinion simon it's either chris cyborg who you mentioned earlier on the show done the grand slam uh, by becoming a champion in bellator and then you've got valentina shevchenko and for me it's valentina shevchenko two title defenses in the ufc two wins one of them being a finish I think if there was more activity from some of the other female champions in the sport, then we'd have a bit more to talk about and digest and, and maybe even debate. But two out of two for the bullet, that gets the my nod for female fire of the year pretty easy. I've gone the other way. I've gone the other way. I've gone Chris Cyborg. Yeah, I've gone I've gone I've gone Bellator. I've gone Chris Cyborg. I think um Valentina Shevchenko is I think both Valentina Shevchenko and Chris Cyborg have the same problem. They are dominant, dominant fighters. And obviously Cyborg ended up getting beat by uh, Amanda Nunes and has since moved over and joined Bellator. Uh, 2020 for Chris Cyborg was was a huge year. She registered two wins in Bellator title fights. Valentina Shevchenko registered two wins in UFC title fights. Um... Cyborg dethrones Julia Budd, who'd held the belt forever at 145 pounds in Bellator. And uh, fourth round finish, TKO won the belt. She then followed up against the former boxing world champion, Arlene Blanco, in her first title defense. And not only retained her title and registered her first title defense, she made a little bit of history for herself. She won by submission for the first time in her career. So she's registered her first career submission win. She's defended her belt. She's picked up two big wins in the year. And she's done the Grand Slam in the process. Valentina Shevchenko's two wins, I think, were both on the scorecards, if I remember rightly. Um, And yeah, dominant wins, no doubt. Um, But I think the gravitas of what Cyborg achieved by make, by creating that little piece of history with the grandstand, for me, that just edges it. Interesting. Well, you know what, Simon? As you were able to concede male fighter of the year in my favour, I'm more than happy to concede female fighter of the year in your favour because, honestly, you've made a very compelling argument there for Chris Cyborg. You're right. She did get two wins under her belt. 
they were both against opponents who were 37 years of age. All right, so it's not as if they were in their the prime of their professional fighting career. And I always think that in the UFC, the competition tends to be, you know, tougher. The the fighters are more in their prime and all the rest of it. One of the performances that Valentina Shevchenko put in was a finish. The second, and and here's the thing, and I think you're right here. We all thought that she should have finished Jennifer Meyer, just given the level of competition and how much better she is. And I think it was good for her to go the 25 minutes and, and gonna get a four or five rounds under her belt, uh, just so that something that she may need to kind of draw in on in terms of experience moving forward. But when you when you kind of made the argument they did about Chris Cyborg, Simon, yeah, they're absolutely right. Let's give it to Chris Cyborg. She is the female fighter of the year. There's a lot of love in the room. I'm liking this spirit of uh, of cooperation and give and take. This is if we'd have been negotiating Brexit, we'd have had this thing done ages ago. I don't know what all the mess was about. But um, right, where are we? Don't want to talk about Brexit, but there you go. Uh, right, where are we? Where are we? We had female fighter of the year. Right, this one's an interesting one because the the nominees could come from all over the place. Under the radar fighter of the year. We've got so many, so many potential directions we can go in with the under the radar fighter of the year. This is really a story that you've probably latched onto yourself. Do you think? This guy really deserves a shout out for what they've achieved in a year. So this is wide open. I've got four names down here, Sandu, and they may be none of these names could be on your list. This is the sort of award it is. So, so uh, who who do you think should be under consideration for this one? How about Calvin Cater? He, he's someone that put in some performances this year. Two wins, back to back, and he set himself up for an incredibly important. Fight night headliner against Max Holloway that really kicks off the UFC's 2021 campaign and that incredible stretch of events on Fight Island. You know, part of that New England cartel. Um, I love that whole faction and that whole group. But he's not exactly the most outspoken person. He's not exactly cutting promos and you know, big on social media. Seems like a pretty decent, de- pretty, pretty decent guy and. But when you think about someone that could be on the rise and could be fighting for a title sometime in 2021, I think people need to keep an eye on Calvin Cater. Yeah, that's a great shout. And to back up what I just said, he wasn't on my list. Um, He actually is, in terms of stature in the sport, over and above almost everybody on my list. Let me run you down who I've got. Uh, And some of these names are names that might not be overly familiar to people who only watch the UFC. There's a few There's a few names here who come out of left field. Let's talk about one who is in the UFC, Glover Teixeira. Now, to, to say Glover Teixeira is under the radar may come as some as a bit disrespectful. I don't think it is because there's been a lot going on at 205 pounds and a lot of talk about Jan Blachowicz winning the title, John Jones, Israel Adesanya. But the one guy who... He's kind of just been quietly going about his business and picking up decent wins. Is Glover Teixeira. He beat Anthony Smith and Thiago Santos in 2020. And if you're talking about someone who has just gone about his job without any fuss and is now a deserving uh, candidate for a title shot in 2021, it's him. Uh, and the reason why he might not get it is because he kind of flies a little bit under the radar. He's, he doesn't go out there making lots of noise. Um, so... He's on my list. A couple of names who aren't in the UFC. Tan Lee, 
he was on the Ultimate Fighter a few years ago. Um, he's fought on the American regional scene. Went over and joined one championship. Uh, he's fought twice in 2020. Scored two huge knockouts. The second of which saw him knock out Martin Nguyen to win the one featherweight title. He's now having been kind of a, a guy who's always been on the fringes. He was on the Contender Series. I think he won, but he didn't get a contract. He's now a champion in one championship. So he's had a great year. Maybe he isn't getting the plaudits that he deserved. Someone else who's had a remarkable year is Mason Jones. Pride of Wales, Mason Jones. He started the year as the latest prospect to come out of Wales. Um, How good can this kid be? By the end of the year, he'd won the Cage Warriors lightweight title. He'd won the Cage Warriors welterweight title. And he got himself a UFC contract. Hell of a year for Mason Jones. And I'll probably talk about him a little bit uh, again a bit further on in the show. But my guy, my under-the-radar fighter of the year, if we had a newcomer of the year, he'd probably get get that award as well, is a guy by the name of Jimmy Flick. Jimmy Flick has had, if you're talking about where he started, you know, sort of how it started, how it's going, those are it, those posts. He's got the best one. He's got the best one, right? If, if, if you're talking about MMA, he fought four times in 2020. He won four times, all by submission, right? So he's got four submission wins for the year. His first fight in 2020, he won the FCF flyweight title, which is some regional promotion in the States. That earned him a shot with uh, Legacy Fighting Alliance, the LFA which is known as being one of the biggest feeder leagues to the UFC, they immediately put him in a title fight. He won that title fight in 38 seconds with an arm triangle. So he wins the belt. That then gives him a shot on the Contender Series in September. He wins that fight with an arm triangle choke in the first round and gets a UFC contract. That's not a bad year. But he hadn't finished. He then went and had his UFC debut in the final UFC event of the year. Finished Cody Durden with a flying triangle choke. One of the best submissions of the year. Picked up a win on his UFC debut. 50G bonus. Four wins. Four subs. Started from the bottom. Now he's here. Bang. UFC. And he's a flyweight contender. He's a dangerous man at 125 pounds. So for me, he's my under the radar fighter of the year. Simon, what can I say? Once again, you've made a very compelling case and I'm not going to argue with you whatsoever. I'm happy for us to submit and put forward out there into the universe as Jimmy Flick as our 2020 Under the Radar Fighter of the Year. Love it. Now, back to uh, pick up the conversation that we had a little earlier on. (laughs) Yes. This is going to be quite easy now, I think. Breakout Fighter of the Year. I had one name written down, but this is because I had Kevin Holland listed further up my sheet of paper. And the name I'd written down, Sandu, was Hamzat Chimaev. But now Kevin Holland's in the mix. Let's let's, let's let's compare and contrast, shall we? Yeah, I mean, we talked about Kevin Holland already, right? Five fights, five wins, most of them on short notice. And he ends his run of wins in the UFC in 2020 with just an incredible performance off his back knockout over Jacare Souza. Nobody does that to Jacare Souza. On the flip side, what Hamzat Shemaev did was he took advantage of an incredibly, incredibly insane situation that the UFC were in. 
they're on Fight Island, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and not all these fighters from these international markets can fly in. So they have to almost rely on fighters to perhaps stay in shape, stay healthy, stay on site, whether it's at the Apex or at Fight Island, because you never know. There might be a fight we need you to to you know fill in because of a, a dropout or whatever. Hamza Shmaev opens his account with a couple of wins over on Fight Island. And since then, he's just taken the social media world by storm. He's his post fight interviews have been fantastic. He's almost like a, a bigger, snarlier version of Khabib Nurmagomedov. He's nine and zero, three victories in the UFC. He's undefeated. He's fighting at welterweight and at middleweight, and he's someone that would have got breakthrough fighter of the year for me had it not been for Kevin Holland getting that signature win over Jacare Souza. And I say that because if Hamza Shemaev had fought Leon Edwards on the end of year show for the UFC and beaten Leon Edwards, I think that would have solidified him as the breakthrough fighter of the year. The one thing missing on his resume versus Kevin Holland is fighting a legitimate top guy. I'm talking former champion, number one contender, someone in the top five, top 10. Kevin Holland did that to Jacare Souza. He's off to the races now. Hamzat Shemaev, there are still questions and fair questions out on whether he's the real deal or not. And we won't know the answers to those questions until he fights Leon Edwards. And we're literally about a month away from finding out whether he can handle what Leon Edwards brings to the table. So for that and what we mentioned earlier on, this is a slam dunk for me. Kevin Holland, breakthrough fighter of the year. Yeah, definitely. Without a doubt. I think if you're talking about moving the needle... I think uh, Hamzat Chimaev probably has the edge, right? I think he's exploded onto the scene in a way that we really haven't seen too often uh, in the sport. And uh, but he has he has eased his way in with uh, largely largely unranked opposition or opposition that that hasn't really been at the very very highest level yet. Um, Kevin Holland been around a little bit longer, fight, fighting top top opposition or better opposition. Fought more times, more wins, more finishes, all of that. So, yeah, slam dunk for me. Kevin Holland, breakout fighter of the year. And um, who knows? Kevin Holland called out Hamzat Shumayev after his last win. We might see these two go head-to-head at some point in 2021. That would be a lot of fun. Now, this one could be fun as well. Event of the year. We've had so many uh, shows that I think at some point in the year, we probably never thought we would even see. I think there was a worry that everything would be shut down and, you know, an event of the year could be picked from a shortlist because there might not have been that many, but we've had a full a full year of events. So uh, running back through everything and trying to pick out, pick out the best ones has been a bit of a job. I've kind of nailed it down to, to a couple, really. Um, but um, what stood out for you? I mean, you know, we've, we've both worked on covering these shows over the course of the year are there are there specific events that have sort of stayed sort of fixed in your mind as ones that are you know when you look back at 2020 you go yeah i remember that show three in total and i think a couple of the same ones that you've got in mind simon i think the return of conor mcgregor anytime conor mcgregor's in the mix it has to be in consideration for an event of the year this year more so than any other year considering how long it had been since we've seen him for fight it was the only card that conor mcgregor ended up competing on this year his season didn't pan out the way it did the performance was incredible 
Um, the atmosphere in the building was insane. And yeah, I think, you know, it was, it was an incredible way for the UFC to kick off 2020. Um, you know, other notable performances on that particular card, Holly Holm defeats Raquel Pennington, Alexia Lenick defeats Morris Green, Brian Kelleher defeats Ode Osborne, Carlos Diego Ferreira defeats Anthony Pettis. Um, so obviously in terms of stealing the headlines, it was that show was all about Conor McGregor. The other one for me was UFC 249. This was kind of like a, a big test in terms of the UFC putting on really like a major marquee one of their biggest fights of the year in initially it was supposed to be you know finally Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Tony Ferguson they had to pivot because Khabib was stuck in Russia and couldn't get out and so it ended up becoming Ferguson versus Gaethje for the interim lightweight title but again man think about the fights we got on that particular card Gaethje Ferguson Cejudo Cruz and Garnu knocks out Rosenstruck in 20 seconds Calvin Cater, who we mentioned a few times, gets the first of his two victories of 2020 when he TKOs Jeremy Stevens. And even Greg Hardy, who is very polarizing at that time, uh, got a win over Jorgen de Castro. Obviously, his year didn't pan out the way he wanted to. But that Gaethje-Tony Ferguson fight was an absolute banger. Ferguson, you know, one of the best lightweights of all time to not become a full, fully-fledged, undisputed UFC champion. And that, for me, showed just how much of a level up Justin Gaethje had, had you know, done on his game. So that was one um, that stands out for me. And also, it was just a card that, you know, it was in Jacksonville, Florida. It was before the Apex. It was before Fight Island. There was a lot of questions on whether the UFC could put it all together. And it was one of the earlier cards where we actually got exposure to seeing fights play out with all the sounds and all the gimmicks gone away you know there's no fans in attendance the spotlight you know i can remember hearing all those shots the punches and kicks in the gate chief ferguson fight that we were all listening to uh, the acoustics were picked up from from the cage it was incredible stuff and for me ufc 249 was a, such a memorable event and then one of the final events in fact it was a final pay-per-view of the year for me is in consideration for event of the year Davidson Figueredo defeats Brandon Moreno. Oh, they go, goes to a majority draw with Brandon Romain, uh, Moreno and and you know retains his UFC flyweight championship. Charles Oliveira defeats Tony Ferguson. What a statement win! It was a one-sided performance. Incredible performance by Dubronx. Mackenzie Dern continues on her way to improving as a mixed martial artist by defeating Verna Jandarova. Kevin Holland, who we've mentioned a few times already on the show puts on an incredible performance against Ronaldo Jacare Souza, knocking him out off his back. And then that main card kicked off with Cyril Gane defeating Junior Dos Santos, former UFC heavyweight champion. Now, that was just the main card, but there were so many great moments on the undercard. I mean, who didn't love seeing Cub Swanson come back, given what he's been through, and defeat Daniel Pineda? And we also had Rafael Fiziev show us what he's all made of with a knockout of Hanato Moicano. So... And even the card starts off with Chase Hooper, who's a real fun prospect to keep an eye on uh, with a heel hook win over Peter Barrett that was on the, the early preliminary portion of the card on UFC Fight Pass. So a lot of contenders there, Simon. Um, I'm going to hold back on revealing who you know which event I think is the event of the year, but I want to make sure you've got a chance to share your thoughts and insights and perhaps you know showcase to to the to, to listeners who you think is the or what you think is the event of the year yeah i mean 
the list you the list you just ran through is 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 the list I had. the The UFC two forty six I think was an important one. It was an important one for me as well personally because I was I was at that event. That was the last event I covered in person, um, and it was it everything just felt normal. Everything just felt normal. You know, I worked I worked in the media tent outside the T Mobile Arena. I was backstage covering that show. Um, everything was fine. Everything was great. It felt like we're just going to carry on as per normal. Then everything changed. And ironically, the UFC 249 show, which was originally due to be on April the 18th, I was I was all booked up to go to that as well. That was going to be at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Everything was booked up. I was all lined up to go. Everything was fine. Then the event got postponed in terms of the Brooklyn thing. And then it eventually got moved. There was all the to and fro in with the whole Tashi Palace thing. Then they eventually settled on Jacksonville, Florida, and they did three events in 10 days, I think, uh, in Jacksonville at the Star Memorial Arena. And this was obviously the showcase event, right? And I think this is probably the one that gets the nod from me because I think this is the moment where the UFC basically said, we're doing this, you know? We're going to find a way and we're going to do this. This was like their first iteration of doing it. Um, and eventually they went on, they did the UFC Apex and they did Fight Island and they've really nailed it down. This event, there was, you know, there were a lot of worries about this event. Jacare Souza was supposed to fight on this event, um, tested positive along with two of his cornermen ahead of this fight. So that fight got scrapped. At that point, people were panicking. It's like, okay, do we need to, do we need to cancel the whole event? But they were happy that they managed to isolate them away. The show went on and it turned out to be a belter of a show. I mean, that main card, Greg Hardy beating Jorgen De Castro going the distance, but then it was finishes all the way. Calvin Cater beating Jeremy Stevens, Francis Ngannou knocking out Josino Rosenstreet in 20 seconds, Henry Cejudo looking outstanding against Dominic Cruz, and obviously uh, the retirement after that. Justin Gaethje and Tony Ferguson. Of course, it was supposed to be Khabib and Tony Ferguson, and it will go down in history as, you know, a a, a a moment of, of great disappointment to Tony Ferguson because A, he missed out on fighting Khabib. B, he accepted a fight against a short notice replacement and then lost to him. Um, and then every, all the cards he had were basically burned at that point. You know, he he uh, he was right there. He had everything pretty much ready for him. And then he loses to Justin Gaethje. And uh, it's been a bad 2020 for, for Tony Ferguson in terms of his MMA career, which is... Which is a bit of a shame, and we've missed out on that 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 Khabib fight, which is what was supposed to be that main event in Brooklyn, New York, originally. So, um, but yeah, the, every fight card has its stories, doesn't it? But I think the fact that we had such amazing performances on that main card, coupled with the fact that what was going on uh, going on in the world at the time, and how we were all trying to work out whether this was a good idea or not, and whether this could be done safely. Um, the UFC would determine that it could and they made this show happen and then they went onwards and upwards after that and uh, future shows were safer, better run and the fighters on uh, at all levels just stepped up and did the business. So for me, I think from its historical significance and all the rest of it, 249 gets my, gets my vote, I think. Yeah, mine too, Simon. For everything that you just said, things weren't perfect and dialed in in terms of their COVID-19 protocols, but the blueprint was there. They put their best foot forward. And like I said before, 
this was not a fight night card, pay per view, title fights. You know, initially with Khabib, arguably the you know one of their biggest stars, maybe second only to Conor McGregor in the sport. Um, and so they were really putting trying to put together a package here that showed the rest of the world and the sports world specifically that hey, business as usual, minus the fans, and we can do it safely. And so I think that was a, a an important moment for everyone, including the UFC, their staff, their fighters, in terms of how things were going to look moving forward in 2020. And so for that and that reason alone, I agree with you, Simon. UFC 249, in addition to producing some incredible fights and performances, is the event of 2020 from the Brit Pack. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, the fact that these shows have managed to go ahead. And again, I've said it, I've probably said it two or three times already on the show. The fighters going through the extra, all of the extra yards that they need to do, the impact on their training, you know, just, just that, just getting ready for fights, you know, it's not the same. And their preparation would not have been as good as it would have been under normal circumstances. But yet we've seen some incredible performances and, and stuff that will go down in the memory books, you know, and stuff that melted the internet. And uh, that leads us on nicely to the uh, the award that was absolutely tailor-made for you to tee all this up, Sandu, because it's the, it's the social media slash viral moment of the year. Um, now, this doesn't have to necessarily be what happened in the cage. This could be anything in relation to into MMA. Um, I've noted a few little, a few, uh, a few options down when, you know, when we were talking about this before the show, but you could go anywhere with this. I mean, you've obviously got the benefit of the metrics as well. So you know, what really, really did the business on social media. So, uh, what were the, the biggest viral moments of the year? Well, I've got a list of what you've noted down, Simon, and it's bang on. It's absolutely bang on. The the three nominees that you've listed here is the Joachim Buckley knockout, the 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 Khabib cartoon produced by BT Sport, which just showcased his journey in, in mixed martial arts, losing his father, and then ultimately uh, competing against uh, Justin Gaethje. It was kind of like the pre-promo package that BT Sport had put out for, for social media. And I think the biggest co-sign you can get is when Khabib posted it himself on his social media. That kind of gives you the thumbs up that they really nailed the tone of that one. Fantastic stuff there. And I think in terms of just news, Khabib retiring, just insane. People were just going crazy over his retirement because it, it took everyone by surprise. No one saw that coming either. So, with that all being said, we've got three nominees, two of them being Khabib Nurmagomedov related, but I have to go with Joachim Buckley, Simon. That knockout, like I said earlier on in the show, when people like Kanye West are posting it on their social media, and his social media alone is freaking incredible. It's bigger than, I think, all the UFC accounts put together, right? which tells you how big his following is. It's outside of our bubble. It's outside of the MMA community. I think Joachim Buckley, you know, is right now sitting on a hundred thousand, or either close to a hundred thousand, or maybe more than a hundred thousand Instagram followers. I think the week of the fight, he had less than ten thousand, which tells you how many people saw the, the knockout, are continuing to see the knockout for the first time. It's on everyone's highlight reels of the year. Everyone's posting their best knockouts of the year. ESPN, BT Sport, and all the rest of it puts him on the map. Right, everyone now knows who he is, knows his name. Look what it did for Anthony Pettis, and the, the the Showtime kick didn't even lead to an actual knockout. It was just more of a moment in the fight itself. But when you do things like that in the cage, 
ultimately that's what it's all about that's the bottom line pre-promo build-up hype interviews and all the rest of it means nothing unless you can produce the goods in the cage and sometimes it comes from someone that hasn't done any of the pre-promo stuff because they're not a big enough name in the sport to do pre-promo stuff Joachim Buckley wasn't headlining a main uh, pay-per-view or headlining the card he was just on the card and he does something that captures everyone's imagination and it kind of almost shows you athletically where these athletes and fighters are headed in terms of their ability to produce incredible knockouts and moments like that and it's not just knockouts we, we talked about a you know aj mckee and what he did in terms of his submission but when you compare knockouts to submissions knockouts are always more pleasing on the eye because they can happen in a moment's notice they can happen in a flash like I said before, I was on broadcast and I was working uh, for social media, BT Sport behind the scenes. And when I clipped and posted that, considering it's geo-locked to just the UK and Ireland, seeing the numbers that I saw, and you're talking about a viral moment or a social media moment of the year, it's hands down Joachim Buckley's knockout. Yeah, that was what I assumed it would be. And I I think, you know, for, for, for this award, it's got to be, I think it's it, it's about what was the biggest the biggest moment and you know from from what you just said there um it was the wow moment of the mma year wasn't it it was the one that if if even if you you know you knew people who weren't mma fans people were sending this clip around you know kanye west i don't think is a is an avid mma fan but you know he was as as, as you said he was uh he was pushing it on social media as well so yeah huge huge performance from from Joachim buckley because uh, Impa Kasanganai, by the way, was was considered a bit of a prospect, and uh, you know, and uh, Buckley just—it's one of those. It was like Impa Kasanganai will forever be known as the guy who got knocked out by Joachim Buckley. Kasanganai may go on and have a better career. We don't know that yet, um, but uh, that moment will go down in 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 history, and will absolutely when the fans do end up back in UFC arenas again, and they play that iconic Bubba O'Reilly. Uh, montage that you only get in the arena and they put it just before the main card starts it's it's a little thing that the UFC does if you've never been to a live UFC show um, they do this they dim the lights they basically black out the whole arena and then they play this five and a half minute six minute montage of some of the greatest moments in UFC history the highlight reel moments the walkouts the stare downs the incredible uh, moments during fights and it gets regularly updated. This will absolutely be pride of place. This is up there with the Vitor Belfort getting front kicked in the face by Anderson Silva, um, the Showtime kick and all of that. It's going to be in there with all of them. So yeah, Joachim Buckley has become the viral star of the UFC in 2020. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he carries on with his career in 2021. We've got one more one more event, uh, sorry, one more uh, award to squeeze in uh, in this this bumper edition of the Brit Pack, and we couldn't do a Brit Pack without acknowledging the best British fighter of the year. Um, I've got two names down here: Mason Jones and Jake Hadley Sandu, both of whom did their business outside of the UFC, and largely this is this is down to the fact that. A lot of the British fighters were kind of hamstrung a little bit by this COVID thing. They've they've been hit quite hard. With they've have they haven't been able to compete as easily and as frequently as as uh, some of their colleagues from from overseas. So um, before I launch into those 
those two names and sort of try and break down those two for us. What? How? How, how do you assess this year in terms of British fighters in in, in MMA? Because it's been a tricky one, hasn't it? It's been tough, man. Like barely any. Well, the UFC card in London scrapped. Bellator wasn't able to put on any shows in the UK. They put on a, an event in Dublin before you know shit hit the fan there. Cage Warriors, man. Thank God for Cage Warriors because if Cage Warriors weren't putting on shows, God knows where the regional fighters trying to make their way up, gonna get some pro fights on their resume would be right now. Um, so God bless Cage Warriors for putting on some shows, and, and I like the way they put on these trilogy events. Better than nothing right and hopefully as we kind of head into 2021 i know everyone in the uk is currently in a lockdown but if cage warriors can continue to put on events if the ufc and bellator can somehow some way even if they can't put on events in the uk and ireland perhaps get some of the british and irish fighters over to fight ireland or the apex or wherever they're holding events that'd be a good look um, Dana White I think mentioned it uh, not too long ago that it's the regional circuit and the fighters on regional promotions that are going to hurt the most moving forward the big boys can take care of themselves the UFC and Bellator they've figured it out and they've already got a roster to deal with the UFC are cutting fighters off their roster they're trimming the fat so to speak Bellator are figuring things out and they're doing a, a pretty decent job of trying to sign the big name fighters at the same time trying to get the, the, the prospects so they can homegrown them but it's going to be tough. So difficult year. But that being said, um, obviously noted the names um, from your list, Simon. And I personally really liked what Mason Jones brought to the table in 2020. He's now 10-0. Uh, seven of those are by finish. Four of them by knockout. Three of them by submission. Two wins in 2020. Both of them by TKO. He's 25. He's Welsh. Remember the name Mason the Dragon Jones. Yeah, he's had a he's had a big big year. To I say him and Jake Hadley really stood out to me. Uh, Jake Hadley, former EFC flyweight champion uh, from England, but got got his uh, big title down there in South Africa last year. Uh, ended up signing for uh, he actually fought on on a Bellator card, Bellator two twenty seven, and then. Ended up signing for for Cage Warriors. Um, he beat Charge Hack at Cage Warriors one fourteen in September uh, in what was effectively a title eliminator. Um, and uh, on the same card, I think it was, or certainly during the same trilogy, uh, Luke Shanks captured the the uh, the vacant belt uh, with a with a really dominant, really dominant performance. One of the most uh, dominant scorecards we'd seen in a long time. But then. Hadley steps up, faces Luke Shanks at Cage Warriors 117 in December and just does a number on him, just completely dominates him. Um, even more dominant on the scorecards. Uh, I think he had a, I think I think two judges gave him two 10-8 rounds in that fight. Um, totally dominated. He is now the Cage Warriors flyweight champion. He's undefeated. He's 7-0. And uh, given the UFC flyweight division beginning to get a bit of heat under it right now, now is the time to bring Jake Hadley into the UFC. I don't think he has anything to prove. He's won titles with major organizations outside of the UFC. He's got he's got the EFC belt. He's got the Cage Warriors belt, um, and uh, I think he deserves his shot. He's my he's my runner up though, because Mason Jones has uh, has kind of seen what 
Jake Hadley did and raised him. Because, yeah, Jake, Jake Hadley won a Cage Warriors belt in 2020 and uh, Mason Jones has won two. Um, undefeated heading into the year. Takes on Joe McColgan, who is a very tricky opponent, um, and uh, finishes him four minutes, 40 seconds. It took him to finish Joe McColgan to win the lightweight belt at Cage Warriors 100. Cage Warriors 113 in March. That was uh, up there in, in Manchester. Um, then came down to uh, to London. Uh, so was, hang on, no, no, that was in Manchester as well. Adam Proctor. He took on Adam Proctor, who size-wise, you should have seen the face-off between them, Sandy. They were kind of like this. It was kind of, I think there was like five or six inches height difference between them. Uh, Proctor is a huge welterweight and uh, was undefeated going into that fight um, and uh, got beat got well beat, got knocked out in four minutes, 31 seconds and uh, absolutely huge performance from uh, from Mason Jones. Became a two belt world champion, gave a brilliant, brilliant call out at the end of that end of that fight. He basically turned around and said, I told Ian Dean and Graham Boylan to give me the, you know, the scariest men they could. They weren't good enough. Dana, I'm ready for the UFC. I've got a welterweight belt. I've got a lightweight belt put me in with anybody at 55 and they won't last two rounds with me. Sign me up. And they've signed him. So he's had an incredible year. He's had an incredible year. He's young. He's still got a lot of improving to do. He's not the, despite the fact he's a two belt champion, he is not the finished article yet by any stretch. He's going to get better. He's definitely going to get better. And uh, fighting in that 155 pound division in the UFC, he's going to need to because that is full of killers. But I'm looking forward to seeing Mason Jones in the UFC in 2021. And he is my Britpack British fighter of the year. No doubt about it. Yeah, likewise. I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, even the guys that made the UFC debut this year, someone like a, a Reese McKee, you know, difficult circumstances, you know, making your debut short notice and, and, you know, against someone that was, you know, on the rise and Hamza Shemaev. Looking forward to seeing what he can do next year. Tom Aspinall, looking forward to seeing what he can do next year. Even the return of Darren Till, obviously we're not talking about prospects anymore with Darren Till, but Darren Till, Leon Edwards, man, we're still waiting for another UFC champion from, from England, Simon, from the UK. Poland has beaten us to it. They've got their second one under their belt already with Jan Blachowicz. Still Michael Bisping, the only British champion in UFC history. So it'd be nice if, uh, if you know, listen, Leon Edwards, if he beats Hamzat Shemaev, then he just honestly just solidifies his, his position as someone that should be fighting for the title next. I know Gilbert Burns has, you know, got his resume there and but it's almost funny, I think, that the the the, the inactivity and the lack of competition for Gilbert Burns might come back to bite him on the ass because that's what he was saying to Leon Edwards. And if Leon Edwards puts in a performance against against Hamzat Shemaev on Fight Island in a matter of weeks, cuts a promo on Kamara Usman then he may go back to the front of the line and fight for the title next. So let's see what happens. It's going to be interesting 2021, especially for the British contingent. Uh, right now, it looks like Leon Edwards is probably the head of the pack uh, in terms of someone who is closest uh, to fighting for a UFC championship. But outside of him and the likes of Darren Till, it's going to be another big year for the British contingent. No doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean... 2020 definitely did Leon Edwards dirty. It's been it's been an absolutely horrible year for him, and uh, you know all completely out of his control. Hopefully, 2021 is a big year for Rocky. Interesting to see what's going to happen in Bellator as well. Brett Johns has moved across 
to Bellator. I think he could really thrive over there. That could be really interesting in that Bellator bantamweight division. I think you've also got um, Linton Vassell is making moves at heavyweight. He's moved up from, he's been a light heavyweight forever. And now he's moved up to heavyweight. It took a loss first time out, but has regrouped. He beat uh, Sergei Karatonov. He's now moving his way up and he's looking, he's looking like a bit of a threat. In that Bellator heavyweight division, you've got Saul Rogers at featherweight who looked outstanding last time out. I know he wants to work his way up that featherweight division. Obviously, that featherweight tournament will come to a close early next year. Then everything's wide open. Uh, they're going to be looking for new contenders to emerge. Maybe Saul could be the guy from the UK. And, uh, you know, you've got you've got the likes of James Gallagher looking to make, make some noise, as he always does um, as well, coming out of Ireland. So... You know, from our side of the pond, I think there's a lot to be excited about. They just need the opportunity to fight, don't they? And that's that's the thing. It's not really been there for a lot of the guys. It's been a tough year. So um, hopefully 2021 brings more opportunities and plenty of success for the guys who hail from our neck of the woods in 2021. That, Sandu, is a packed episode <laughs> of the Brit Pack. This is by far and away the longest one we've done since we came back. We used to do shows this long all the time and we thought, no, nah, they're too long. But uh, end of the year special, um, I think it needed doing. Yeah, and look, we covered a lot. Year in review, bit of breaking news from Khabib and our end of year award. So yeah, you know, it's going to be a bit of a, a packed show with all that crammed in there. But for those of you that are still listening to us, God bless you for sticking out with us for this long on this particular episode. But want to wish everyone, you know, belated Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year in advance. If you want to follow us on social media, it's at the Britpack MMA on Twitter. Simon is at Simon Head on Twitter and at Simon Head Sport on Instagram. I am at Sandu MMA on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. The best place for you to check out the show is YouTube. YouTube is going to be a big platform for the Brit Pack in 2021. Outside of that, it's Apple, it's Spotify. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor, rate and review us. It really helps us uh, get found on that particular platform. But where we really want everyone to go is the YouTube channel. You can go to the Britpack.com. Um, that has all the various platforms and all the links to all the various places you can catch the show. But if you can go to our YouTube like subscribe it's audio only for the time being but like i said big big plans for 2021 and you know youtube is going to play a big part of that absolutely and uh yeah i'll echo your your sentiments for the season have a great great end to 2020 as best you can uh it's been it, the year has sucked let's be honest it's been it's been a, it's been a horrible year for a whole number of reasons and uh Let's hope, let's hope that 2021 gives us a little bit more to smile about as uh, as we head into the new year. Have a good next few days. Enjoy the next week. If you still want to get some fights in before the end of the year, Rising have their big New Year's Eve show uh, early in the morning UK time. I think it starts like 5am or something stupid like that. But um, if you're glutton for punishment like I am, you'll join me and watch it. It should be a good one. Um, but other than that, have a great new year and we'll be back for our way too early outlandish predictions of the year special, which won't go an hour and three quarters, I promise, next week. <laughs> <laughs>